0: You are tuned into The Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of The Dr. Tina Show, your favorite functional pharmacist, Dr. John Kim, is back. Dr. John has been on the podcast before and you all loved him, so I've asked him to come back and explain to me drug pricing policies in America. This model is messed up. Grab a pen and paper, get ready to take some notes because this is going to blow your mind. Let's jump in. All right, Dr. John Kim, the functional pharmacist, you're back. We got you back after long lost.
1: I, I know. I think this is my fourth time to be in your show. I think I might be the most uh, invited guest ever. You <laughs> so, are. That's, so thank that's, you. Thank you so much for doing this again.
0: That's because you're one of my besties. So we got to bring you on. You and I have lots of great conversations. If the world only knew all the cool stuff we talked about and all the fun memes we share.
1: <laughs> oh, God. You know, if anyone out there, if... if uh, if you could see the type of memes and the jokes and the articles that Dr. Tina and, and I end up having to share each other every single day, mind you, every <laughs> single day, every single hour, uh, you'll have a thrill. I think we should have a separate page just to, just to discuss what Dr. John and Dr. Tina has been discussing the entire day.
0: We can't. It would be censored because we actually <laughs> talk about what's really going on with this pandemic and what's really going on with the vaccine. And we can't share that anywhere else. That,
1: that so. is very, very true. The the
0: curse of knowing the truth. Um, Okay, so today you did a reel a few months ago, and I wanted to bring you on because you were talking about how the price structure of the pharmaceutical drugs are done. And the reel was great, but I was super confused, and I thought we could try to break this down over the next 30, 40 minutes of... How does this work? People don't understand when they're going, They go, if they have insurance, they go and pay, they have a co of some sort on their drugs or they get it for free. Um, I understand it a little bit only in that behind the scenes as a physician who can purchase drugs, I see their price at wholesale and it's a whole lot different than what I see coming across the counter at the pharmacy. So you were going to talk today about all of this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is a complex discussion to make and you know, surprisingly enough, even pharmacists don't even understand it because pharmacists in general, they end up having to be working for a chain or independent pharmacy or hospital, and they're so busy dispensing rather than looking at the actual cost. And even then, they don't even know what's being covered, what is not. And then when you factor in the patient's deductible, that's an annual thing that they have to pay. So if anyone not familiar with what deductible is, so let's just you get into a car accident and you have to fix your car, the first set of amount that you have to pay, it could be 500 up to 1000 you have to pay that until your initial benefit kicks in. That's exactly what happens with your insurance company as well. So let's just say you go to hospital and then you get injured. Uh, the procedure, you may have to end up having to uh, shell out five to almost $10,000 deductible until your, your initial uh, benefit kicks in. And that goes into pharmacy at the same time. So it's really complex in that sense of that. And at the same time, there's a lot of things in terms of there's so many insurance companies and as well as the different middlemen out there. And, and the particular middleman we'll talk about today is called the pharmacy benefit managers. And I'm not going to point anyone out uh, because is it's, uh, that's not what I'm here for. I'm just trying to explain what the market looks like and explain about it. And I'm not trying to vilify anything else. It's just the overall complexity of the system is too big to unravel that even just the pricing structure we're going to talk about in itself can be really Daunting as well. So that's the reason why even the professionals are having trouble. And I mentioned to Dr. Tina about this. Uh, before the pandemic started, I usually regularly go down to Washington, D.C. and talk with lawmakers, not for anything else, but to protect patients' access to compound prescriptions, uh, as well as you know, particular drug coverages and what that means for the, for the community. And lawmakers are really want to protect that because obviously they want to protect the ends of their uh, constituents. But the problem is when you go down to Washington, D.C. and you want to talk with the lawmakers, you don't talk with the lawmakers. You talk with their interns, right? And so there's a lot of brokenness in that because you may end up having to talk to an intern. They don't fully understand or grasp the entire policy and they end up having to maybe Shove it out the side, or they may end up having to not translate that particular message to the lawmakers correctly. And so there's a lot of brokenness as well. On top of that, there's a lot of lobby groups, right? You think that you're selecting your lawmakers. Many cases not the case is the lobby groups who actually fund a lot of these things to get the lawmakers elected to protect their end as well, because they're in the business to protect their overall profit. So that becomes a lot more difficult part that I end up having to, at least my colleagues and I end up having to fight the uphill and it's exhausting. Uh, so I haven't been to Washington DC over t- two years at this point in time. At one point I was invited to the White House to talk about uh, drug price policies, drug pricing policies. Uh, and even then just talking with the uh, White House officials, they don't even understand it quite readily, right? So if lawmakers and policymakers, even healthcare professionals are not able to understand the drug pricing model, how would a lay person end up having to, as a consumer, going to a pharmacy buying different drugs, and all of a sudden, there's such a wide price range you see. So a good example is, let's just say, you go to a good Rx website. That's pretty popular these days, right? You go to the doctor's office and they have different discount cards you could get for free, and you know what, and, and you go online and to do a price comparison, it could range between a simple drug, like a, a, a Finasteride, for instance, that's the prostate medication, it could range between like $15, all up to 75, but why is there such a price uh, difference there? When I could, for me as a pharmacist, could end up having to purchase drug at a low cost of maybe a dollar or less, right? So why is such a price spread? And then even that there, there is a price spread, who's reimbursing it? At the same time, who's keeping or at least pocketing all the difference? That's the one part that we never know about. And that's the reason why your drug price is always high, when you end up having to go through certain different parties or certain different pharmacies, as a consumer, I want everybody to do their due diligence. In many cases, it's sometimes cheaper to go to an independent pharmacy, a mom-and-pop shop. I know that's so hard to find these days in a rural area, for instance. But it's the best idea to work with the pharmacist one-on-one and try to find a cheaper alternative or maybe to find a better negotiated rate for yourself just working with the pharmacist.
0: Okay, so who does pocket that amount in the middle? How does that get sorted out?
1: Well, even before we could talk about that, we have to talk about why there's such a widespread, who controls that and who determines all those things as well. So we know that there's an insurance company that ended up having to cover our health benefit. But back in the 1960s, the amount of drugs that were actually being formulated and being made by the manufacturer and having it available for the pharmacies was getting bigger and bigger. And at that point in time, nothing was electronic, right? Everything was paperwork. And so, you know, back in the day in a pharmacy, anytime you dispense one particular drug, the pharmacist would end up having to, you know, fill up a triplicate, triplicate form. It's carbon copy. I don't know if you guys remember those, but... Yes. <laughs> Showing our age. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so that... That is basically what you have to fill out and then send to the insurance company. But remember, it was so small in terms a formulation of drugs that you had to deal with. Formulation meaning what's covered through the insurance company. But now when you're talking about thousands of drugs, at the same time, thousands and millions of pharmacies all around, it's so hard to keep track of that. So what happened was that there was a middleman to handle all those paperwork. And that's a particular thing called Pharmacy Benefit Managers so or PBM. And PBM fine. was there to take care of the uh, uh, operation aspect in terms of drug reimbursement uh, to check for drug coverages, meaning that what drugs should be covered and what should not be, right? When there's a cheaper alternative out there, that should be the first thing that should be covered instead of having an expensive one, unless you end up having to have side effects or you end up having to be the fact that, hey, you tried the first one, not working, fine, let's go to the other one. And then there are certain things like something called a drug utilization review, where there are certain criteria cr- criteria that the uh, PBMs make for a particular expensive specialty drugs like a injectable biologics like Chimera or Cosentyx, for instance, that's for rheumatoid arthritis. There has to be a guideline in terms of what you, you have to hit these criteria to get those drugs covered. Because if you don't, what happens? You're going to be spending six to almost ten thousand dollars on a drug that you may not be even needing until you go through the entire criteria so in terms of what the pbm's doing is is controlling costs that's what they're doing that is their primary role the issue is that there are only a handful of these pbms end up having to control the entire market entire market they control 80 percent of the market and they manage 180 million americans
0: who do these guys work for?
1: They end up having to work for um, insurance companies. So, okay. for, yeah. So, uh, so for instance, Horizon, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, uh, Kaiser Permanente is the big one in California right now, right? Uh, okay.
0: So they, these these pharmacy benefit managers work for the pharma or sorry, for the insurance company, the health insurance company, and they help manage the costs of the drugs that are being prescribed by the doctor. Correct or coverage of coverage
1: of coverage of and then the reimbursement what tier range of the drug will be covered and that could determine your copay as well. Sometimes a particular cheaper generic may not be a accepted tier meaning that depending on where the range of you know ABC in a tier service it could be more expensive or cheaper. Or may end up having to require a pre-approval, and I, I bet I bet you that a lot of these uh, listeners out there, you may end up having to get a topical cream, for instance, and go to a pharmacy, and the pharmacist is like, "Well, it's not covered right now because it requires a pre-approval from the insurance company." So those are things that it's important, right? You don't want drugs to be just handed out for no reason when they could end up having to utilize some cheaper alternative, like a over-the-counter allergy medicine, for instance, instead of going through a whole slew of other things that could be prescribed. So there's a role for PBMs playing and as well as uh, there are things that they end up having to do well on.
0: Okay, let me ask you this. So I never took health insurance in my practice, but I knew how it worked. I studied it really well because I thought it was such a bullshit that I wanted to make sure that I understood it and I spent hours and hours and hours studying it to be honest with you it was kind of I kind of I kind of got geeked out on it for a hot minute what happens in the so I'll give you an example uh, I'll give you two examples one is the do, doc the, I'm sorry the, the patient doctor insurance relationship and then the other would be like a third variable which would be an imaging center let's say so We, as the doctor, say we were in-network, we would charge the insurance company a certain amount and knowing that we would get paid pennies on the dollar, so the doctor would charge an exorbitant amount, Mm -hmm. much higher than you would think, and it looks kind of crazy on the bill when the patient gets it, when they get their explanation of benefits, but the insurance company would deny most of that and only pay them on a pre-agreed amount so say $100 for a 30-minute visit, the doctor might get 30. Now, these are not accurate numbers. I'm just giving examples. Um, if you're out of network, say the doctor's out of network, then that amount would be roughly the same, probably not as much because it's not negotiated as if you were in-network uh, in doctor, but the patient would have to pay a higher percentage of the overall bill. So they might get some coverage from their insurance, but they would pay a higher percentage. Now, what I've seen with imaging centers is and labs is that there's the doctor price. So say I wanted to get the lab kit and have it in my office. I could pay one price for that. I can upcharge that to the patient a slight amount, and that would not be me upcharging the lab, but it would be a handling fee, a quote-unquote handling fee, so that there would be a patient price, which would be in the middle, mm-hmm. or if the patient were to pay the lab directly, it would be at a much higher rate. And then insurance is in there as well. So the lab will charge the insurance company a crazy amount of money. So say I can get a panel for a patient through a lab co-op for $250. Often that same panel would cost the patient $2,500 if they billed their insurance. And sometimes the insurance company won't cover it. So now they're stuck with a $2,500 bill when they could have just paid me in the clinic or actually paid the co-op, the lab co-op $250, completely out of my hands. So I only share this because I want the audience to understand how many tiers there are and how much nonsense can be involved here with this system. Um, how does it work with the pharmaceutical industry?
1: That's actually pretty similar to that as well. So just give you an example, I mean, it would be easy for me to actually have a, a, a board and a pen or marker just to write everything out. But being that you're just listening to my voice, I'll make it simple. There is a particular thing called average wholesale pricing. And that's average wholesale pricing is called AWP. And that AWP is basically just what it is. It's an average wholesale pricing that's basically preset by the manufacturers. Because why? Because if you actually have you know four different wholesalers having four different pricing, it would be very, very difficult for the insurance companies to reimburse. So you need to have an average pricing in a national level, right? Depending on the particular drug, and drugs when you dispense it, and when you build to the insurance company, it's not built based on the name, right? It, there is a particular either a you know a diagnosis code that you know doctors end up having to use, but in pharmacies, is built ba- built based on national drug code (NDC), okay? And that particular NDC numbers had the AWP pricing on that.
0: Let's Let's give an example. Just give me some numbers here. Let's just say we're talking about fluconazole, an antifungal.
1: Fluconazole, for instance, is very cheap at this point. I could buy that for $1.50, fifty, a right? Pill. For one pill. T- a pill.
0: Okay. Right? And then is that the AWP or the NDC? That's
1: that's my. That is my overall cost by the pharmacy. Okay. Right. So the AWP could be ranging around uh, seventy-five dollars. A pill. A pill. Wow, why such a big spread?
0: Yes, why?
1: That's how it's set up as, right? That was, Wait, that, that's who? how who determines that? That's the manufacturer.
0: Wow, manufacturer
1: says that. So now you think about that: dollar fifty, seven dollars and fifty cents, right? And what happens is, the PBMs may end up having to dispense the pharmacy four dollars to cover that entire thing. So dollar fifty to cover my cost. $3 something to cover my, uh, expenses and, and then, you know, profit, et cetera, right? The entire difference there, what happens to that difference? That is the one that's actually mysterious. They, they are stating that that could be one of the things that, you know, uh, is a pre-negotiated rate. And, and, and this is what we end up having to do to, you know, save the end user, the patient's pocket. But that spread being built to the employer up top. Right, so whatever whatever difference is, we'll say, hey, Joe Smith got this particular drug, and we cover four dollars, but they don't say that. They end up say, Joe Smith got this particular drug, we cover seventy five, we charge the employer, and that particular spread that goes on, the PBN's pocket.
0: So this is where I get confused. So you say employer? Do you mean the insurance company or?
1: So United States is a unique case, right? Other countries, health insurance is administered by the federal government or the government in itself. Okay. United States, a different model where the insurance is being administered by the employer, the companies. So let's just say you're working for J.P. Morgan, for instance, right? A big bank. The bank or the your company you're working for administers that particular health insurance by contracting with the insurance company. That's what the health human services come in and et cetera, right? So that's always the complexity of it. But in terms of what the PBMs end up having to negotiate the pricing on and then the, the pricing spread difference, that's where the PBMs end up having to pocket and then they end up having to overcharge the employers. And so the employers being that they don't really look at the pricing. Are they going to look at every line, line by line item in terms of what's being, co- what's being administered to their employer employees? Absolutely not.
0: I had no idea that this was a piece of it. So so if I worked for J.P. Morgan and I was on a very expensive drug because I was super sick with something or I was super unhealthy or whatever, my employer would be paying the difference? I thought they just covered the cost of my health insurance.
1: Not always. And th- this is this is the one of the things that um, even uh, drug policymakers as well as the government officials now are seeing and they're, they're going after the PBMs because the entire market is not... Not regulated at all, right? And that's the reason why some of these some of these PBMs made fifteen to twenty billion dollars last year.
0: So the PBM is a employee of the insurance company. They work for the insurance company,
1: or sometimes they're vertically integrated as well. So I'm not going to meaning that the insurance company owns the PBM as well, and Uh, they end up having to control the entire market.
0: I see. So. It's 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 a
1: lot. It's, 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 it's this entire thing is is so hard to unravel. I That's see. the reason why, unless you understand the entirety of this market and how this actually works, you're not going to get it. And then you're like, how's that even legal? Because it's not regulated, right? And I'm I'm all for it. And listeners out there, you know, I'm a hundred percent libertarian. I want less of a government getting involved. I want free market approach, sound money fiscally conservative guy here but thing is this is the uh, shit that happens in in a free market where big companies like these end up having to abuse the entire system rip the money from the public and this is the bullshit that you're dealing with
0: you guys i have a special announcement i am excited to invite my listeners of the dr tina show to my brand new cbd store I've got several products inside the store to suit everyone's needs. I looked for years for a supplier that checked off all the boxes on quality, and I am happy to tell you about the products I've finally come up with. I've got two gummy products inside the store. Both are hemp extract CBD phytocannabinoid gummies, one that supports a more calm state with added L-theanine, and another to shield your immune system with ingredients like zinc and vitamin C along with the CBD. I've also got a high-potency, truly full-spectrum hemp extract oil synergized with other naturally occurring phytocannabinoids and MCT oil. This results in fantastic absorption in the gut. This oil contains several naturally occurring cannabinoids and terpenes. Terpenes are important, plus an added proprietary blend for a robust profile. It contains less than 0.3% THC. It's extracted from high quality CO2 extraction process, and it comes in both a straight oil form or a convenient soft gel, which I like to keep in my purse for on the go. I've also got an amazing topical cream that I utilize for pain. I've tried countless pain creams over the years and test drove them all on my mom. And she says this one is her absolute fave. Every product is rigorously tested and comes with a certificate of analysis that you can find on the product page on the website. So head over to DrTinaHemp.com and use coupon code DrTinaShow10 for 10% off your first order. That's Dr. Tina Hemp, all one word: D R T Y N A H E M P dot com, and use coupon code Dr. Tina Show ten for ten percent off your first order. I can't wait to hear what you think of them. So, so the fluconazole costs the pharmacist a dollar, let's say, and the insurance or the PBM is going to reimburse the pharmacy, your pharmacy, four dollars a pill, so you get a three dollar profit. And that covers your costs and hopefully some profit. Right. And the employer pays $75 a pill.
1: Just letting you know everyone listening out there, this is just a theoretical number. This is not something that yeah. is.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. This, just, just
1: to give you an example.
0: It's just an example. Just say the employer pays $75 a pill, then the PBM pockets the difference, the $71.
1: Correct. And so well. Again, this they is negotiated
0: negotiated it.
1: negotiated it, negotiated it, and then that like a doesn't broker exactly. kind of. right. And there's certain administration fees that they end up having to take from the pharmacy as well. So each claim that the pharmacy transmit to the PBMs, they pocket between ten cents a claim to up to forty cents a claim. But think about how many prescriptions go through on a each daily basis.
0: So the pharmacist isn't getting rich.
1: That's not the case at all. Right. Even, even then. So everybody thinks that the big pharma end up having to control these things. Not at all. Because even then, let's just say there's a, there's a new particular drug that comes out from the big pharma. And that's a complete, I think, joke to begin with these days because there's no other pi- drugs in the pipeline. Right. They only just copy shit, end up having to do all the things. And now they're going to the entire, um, you know, a gene therapy now, quote unquote. Um, so. Big farmers, for instance, let's just say they uh, get a new particular drug out into the market. Let's just call it ABC drug, right? And that particular ABC drug, in order for that particular drug to be covered by the insurance company, the PBMs have to review the drug, review the clinical data, and compare in terms of where that particular drug fits into the their uh, client's list of ailments they might be dealing with. And then they also have to... Set up the formulation, meaning that why that particular drug is covered and how much. And in order for that particular drug to be within the formulation, there is a particular rebate that has to be set between the big pharma and the PBMs. And, and that's all based on how much they're willing to pay for, for that particular drug, drug to be on formula. So think about that. That's like a, that's almost a, uh, <laughs>
0: It's like price splitting.
1: Price splitting. That's what it comes out to right? Which so, is illegal
0: in medicine. Yes, it Like is. if I were to send a patient to you to get a drug compounded, you're not allowed to give me a kickback for the referral. It doesn't work like nor- So people understand. So the listeners understand. If I have a relationship with a local imaging center in town and I send a patient to that imaging center, I don't get a referral kickback like most entrepreneurial businesses work. It's not allowed in medicine. It's called price splitting.
1: I think there was P- a, 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 Yeah, anti kickback laws, uh, you know, Stark law is another yeah. word, right? So that, that's, that's what it comes out to. And this happens all the time. And so I don't know if any, any listeners out there remember back in, I think it was 2017, the entirety uh, complaint was, that's 2017, excuse me, it was 2010, I think it was, nearly uh, 10, 11 years ago, there was an entire national complaint about why EpiPen pricing was so high, right? It was down at seventy dollars per uh, for a pen, and now it's up to two hundred. Like, why is the price keep on going up? It's not like the cost of manufacturing had gone up. Maybe to a point that it goes up from seventy to two hundred. I don't think so. If a milk price goes up that high, you think the entire people out there in the population wouldn't give a shit about it? Of course, they're gonna go in a berserk, but never happens, right? So this entirety of that. So the CEO of um, the pharmaceutical, uh, again, I'm not going to mention which pharmaceutical company. Listeners out there, you could go on Google and then Google it if you want to. But uh, the CEO of, of EpiPen was in stance in Congress and was asked, like, why there's such a price issue? And then her, her point was, well, that's because of the PBM, because she has to give those rebates to the PBMs to get the particular drug on formulary. Right. And then, uh, and then that's the reason why in order to build up that enough buffer of a room for the profit to be generated for the big pharma, well, what, what they have to do, they have to also increase the price on the drug. Right. So who's, who's getting, uh, screwed is a consumer at the end. And yes. that's the, that's, that's the biggest issue there. And then so, uh, and then another thing that we have not talked about is the, um, uh, there's other cl- clawbacks as well. So there's an entirety of the clawback that's been generated. uh, thing thing called a DIR. It's a direct in, in, uh, indirect re, um, rebate. Uh, it, it goes into, it's just called a DIR. And what happens is that there is a clawback, meaning the insurance company or the, or the PBN is gonna be taking back the money after six months to a year after the drug's been uh, dispensed to the patient. So let's just say patient comes in, they pay uh, $35 for a copay, even though um, you know drug may end up having to cost uh, a, you know $2 or so, right? So that price spread in terms of what what they pay to the pharmacy, what the insurance company or the PBMs will end up having to do is that, hey, we checked all the payments that we have given you for the entire year. I think we paid overpaid you, so we're going to call back $28 after six months to a year after we dispensed the particular medication.
0: They call it back from the PBM or from the pharmacist?
1: From the pharmacist.
0: Oh, you're kidding me.
1: So this happens all the time as well. And so the, this actually happens within the Medicare Part D coverage, Medicare. And that's all because of Obamacare back in 2008 when it was actually administered and it actually was passed. There was a particular uh, sentence within the bill talking about improving the patient's overall outcomes and quality assurance measures as well. So that quality assurance measure should be paid by the employer who's administering the plan. Unfortunately, they didn't really set that, set who actually gonna be paying it. So what the PBMs are doing is they're clawing back all these money from the pharmacies to collect those fees they need to administer this quality assurance program. And that's based on, um, and that overall is based on Diabetes medication, high blood pressure medication, and cholesterol medication. Those are three class of drugs that the uh, PBMs look for. And this is set by the uh, Center for Medicare Services, CMS.
0: And those Federal are the most prescribed drugs in America.
1: Most prescribed drugs. And so depending on how well the patients are taking also, would end up having to affect uh, the, the overall quality assurance, or we call it the star rating of a, of a pharmacy and as well as a prescriber. So let's just say Mr. Smith gets a prescription for Lipitor or atorvastatin, for instance. He gets a 90-day supply, but he's late 14 days to refill his prescription. The pharmacy and the prescriber gets, uh, gets a, gets a uh, bad rating, basically, that we haven't done the due diligence in terms of reaching out to the patient and then taking care of their overall outcome. And we get penalized for doing that.
0: Oh, okay. This explains why I would get faxes from the pharmacy saying, have you reminded your patient? To There was all these automated faxes that I...
1: How screwed up is that?
0: That's horrific. Um, I want to add something here just because it, it's a little off topic, but it's not. I have had to correct so many people, including my husband, about this. And so I want to just say this while we're on the topic. Doctors don't make money by prescribing drugs. There is no kickback from the pharmaceutical industry that we get for prescribing drugs. We don't get... Paid for prescribing opioids. We don't get paid for prescribing testosterone. The only people that pay us are our patients for the patient visit. We are not allowed to actually. We don't. There's no pharmaceutical rep coming in saying, "Hey, prescribe this more, and we'll give you money." Now there used to be incentivization, but now you have to claim all that as a physician. So I've never had a pharmacy rep in my clinic because I wasn't a big prescriber. But uh, I did prescribe my fair share of, of pharmaceuticals when needed, but that is something that I think is a misnomer. A lot of the industry, a lot of the world thinks you pharmacists are getting rich from this. And they think us doctors are getting rich from this. And that's what I want to clear up right now. Cause we just stated, you're not getting rich and us as prescribers, as physicians, uh, you know, just seeing patients, we're not getting rich off of this because we were, you guys are doctors too. I don't, I'm clarifying, but we were it's assumed that we are just sitting around writing scripts all day to get rich. That's not how this system works. That's a whole topic for another day, how health insurance works. But <laughs> just clarifying, your doctor's not getting rich. Your pharmacist isn't getting rich from any of this. Somebody else is. It sounds like these pharmacy manager people are, yeah. these PBM people.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I talked about before, I mean, they're, I mean they're, they're publicly traded company as well, right? So that's another problem. Uh, the PBM? I'm open. Yeah, they are. Wow, And then one of the PBMs owned by one of the chain pharmacies as well. Wow. And then they also have done many uh, vertical integration, meaning that the insurance company also also owns a PBM. Also, another thing that this is the biggest issue that we are seeing at this point in time, because they have so much capital, now they're buying, buying hospitals and healthcare clinics as well. And they're controlling the entirety of the healthcare model at this point. So why they're doing this, I think why, is that soon enough it's going to be a one-pair single model. That's where it comes out to.
0: We're the customer, right?
1: Yeah, we're the customer.
0: Eat the shitty food made by big food, take the crappy pills. Well, my solution always with patients when they were complaining about their drug issues was why don't you get off the drug? Why don't we do everything in our power to get you off the drug so then it's not a big, huge expense? I understand that sometimes we need medications and I am the first to say if there's a zombie apocalypse, I will be sacrificing squirrels and sucking their thyroid gland out. Can get my thyroid. Right. <laughs> I thought about not, this, John.
1: Not, not, not a pig? I think pigs are better.
0: I don't have a pig, no. but I have, uh, I, I have maybe a deer. I've got a deer. Anyway, I know the vegans are going hate, to hate, hate me. Guys, but-
1: this, these are the type of jokes that Dr. T and I, and I do every single day. Uh, you know, you got to see our, our DMs and our chats all the time. We,
0: we think about these things, right? We're, we're, we're planning. <laughs> we're ready. Um, but for real, uh, I used to be somebody who was... Uh, and I won't make it a long story. I just, I was on a lot of pharmaceuticals at one point in my young life. And I remember being afraid to travel, being afraid to leave the country, being afraid to do anything fun that a young person would normally do because I was afraid I would run out of my medication or I wouldn't have enough or something would go wrong. And I was a complete slave to my meds. And so I know exactly what that feels like. And I can't imagine as you're older and you're dealing with chronic degenerative illnesses that are predominantly lifestyle. My audience has heard me say that before. I mean, most of these are... Mitigated and caused by lifestyle and reversed only by lifestyle. But unfortunately, we live in a model where people are on... I mean, God, what's the age group? Like, I know over 50-year-olds are on five different medications on average, most 50-year-olds, but like... Polypharmacy. Even young people, the stats I've seen on young people are greatly disturbing. So, you know, again, another like high five to what you and I preach, which is just good, clean living.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well... I'm not a big fan of medications to begin with because there's a lot of um, potential permanent side effects and also um, bodily biochemical changes that could go on and et cetera that, you know, knowing this on my end and having to own a pharmacy and then seeing how many patients are actually taking these drugs, you know, you start to cringe. You know what I cringe about? Dispensing birth control pills. I do. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I'm all about all about empowering women and and, and such, but the amount of, Pa- female patients are taking birth control pills even early as 11, 12 years old just to control the menstruation issues is mind-boggling. And then having to deal with all the other consequences later on because they took it for so long, so long and then they to deal with drug-induced nutritional depletion issues and on top of that, the gut functions all screwed up and such. Best thing to control your overall health uh, cost, cost is to take care of yourself. The doctor of the future is you. You need to be your own doctor, right? This is what Dr. Tina and I end up having to preach all the time. I don't care if you have to eat, take vitamins and such, but the thing is you need to take care of yourself by sleeping well, eating well, pooping well, eat, uh, and I think I said eating well, but <laughs> exercising well, everything, right? And de-stressing well. Those are the things that really build dividends for your health instead of trying to rely on a a broken Healthcare system model, no, 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 sick care model, excuse me, that we see and we're completely dependent on it, right? Anytime for for people out there, even thinking that they would they're going to keep their job because of a particular insurance coverage for their family, you know, if that particular job is making you sick and, and not performing well as, as a you know as a parent, for instance, does that health insurance really suit the need for you? Might as well give up give it up and then find something else but this is the things that we end up having to see. And so I really encourage people to listen to this, think about it for a second, you know, what, what you're spending money on in terms of your overall health, it could be the drugs, could be the vitamins, and really think about what's gonna really build up the overall health dividends for the long term to live a happy, healthy life.
0: Deadlifts and squats. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and eating meat, eating meat. We got to eat meat, okay? Oh,
0: goodness, yes. The vegans are so mad at me this week. <laughs> yes. So for everyone listening, Instagram literally took my voice away off my reel that was doing well because I said eat meat and lift weights. But that's what it anyway, John, I am so appreciative of you for explaining this. I know it's complicated. I know there's probably more to it. But for fear of overwhelm, I think we should probably wrap it up here because... I think that was a really great explanation. I hope the audience will go back and listen to this again so they understand. Get out of the system, you guys. Do everything you can to get out of the system. What Dr. John just said, uh, getting yourself autonomous truly means autonomy and health and drinking the soda and eating the junk food and eating the fast food that Big Brother is providing you to wrap you up into this system forever as a customer is where it starts. So you can't be a libertarian and a medical health freedom activist and be sucking down Big Brother's food, right?
1: Sorry.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, John, where can they find you?
1: On Instagram, Dr. John D, um, And uh, another thing, you could visit my website, drkimwellness.com.
0: Awesome. Is there any ending thoughts you'd like to leave the audience with?
1: Yes. Uh, just as like I preached before, the doctor of the future is you. You need to be your own doctor.
0: I love it. All right. Thanks for coming on, John. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Dr. Tina, thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to The Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at drtina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A, and drtina2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.